Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Eats. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Heest, and we are here to become better habitat managers. Thank you all for tuning in once again. You guys are awesome, the listeners. We have a great group of listeners that keep coming back, and I just really love your support. Thank you again for tuning in. This episode, we have Jordan Hanks from Illinois. Jordan was on another episode of ours, Sucking Shed Hunting, earlier this year, and he just smoked a beautiful nine-point buck uh, recently, and we're going to get him on as a game plan episode here. We cover knowing your property and the history of your property, the farmer's almanac in a harsh winter, What's going on around you, you know, youth season, the full moon, a good cold front, and then we get kind of deep into tracking and, you know, situational tracking and your expertise for tracking deer and knowing when to back out, when not to back out, what to do, etc. So guys, hang in there. We're going to get Jordan Hanks on the line right now. Before that, I want to tell you all about our new website that's up. It's HabitatPodcast.com. We have all of our podcast episodes up there. We also have a link to all of our other media, Instagram, YouTube, uh, wherever we're at, Facebook. You'll find a link there on the website. Also, a bunch of new hats we had done up there. So there's six different hats on there now. Feel free to go on there and uh, subscribe. Send your email address there on the homepage. We will send you a 10% off discount on hats and decals and all that just for you know confirming your email address. So... Appreciate that, guys. Check us out at HabitatPodcast.com. Like I said, for all the podcast episodes and gear. Uh, you know what? I want to thank our sponsors. Before we get into this game plan episode, we have Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, 
Hunt-wise, Packer Max Cult of Packers, Killer Food Plots, and 5-2 Outdoors. Guys, be sure to check out our sponsors as they help support us. Now let's get right to this game plan episode where maybe you can take some of this information, turn it into your own game plan, and be successful later this week or weekend. Good luck out there. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another game plan episode on the Habitat Podcast. We have uh, co-host Brian on the line. What's going on, Brian? Not a whole lot. Just uh, getting some stuff ready for a trip out west here, brother. What's new with you? Oh, just uh, recording podcasts, working, getting ready to go hunting tomorrow night. And uh, I don't know about you, but our guest tonight has uh, put some more antler on the ground, unlike you and I this year so far. (laughs) Mr. uh, Jordan Hanks from Illinois. What's up, Jordan? How we doing? Well, we'd be doing better if we killed a nice buck like you did. Yeah, it'll come. It's early. <laughs> no, man, I appreciate you coming on the show again. Welcome. I know uh, you were on episode 39. We talked all about shed hunting, so maybe if the listeners uh, can hear your voice or remember your beard, that's exactly where they remember it from. Yeah, we talked a little bit about shed hunting and antlers and, and what causes them to do what they do and gives us more reason to go out and get out there and find them. Heck yeah, man. Well, the reason we got you on here is uh, we had some pretty fun texts and call exchanges over the weekend. Uh, you put a nice one down, and we want to we wanna hear all about it. So maybe let's get into, you know, kind of where you're hunting, what part of the farm, what the setup looks like there in terms of habitat, food, cover, and um, then we'll get into the hunt. Yeah. Um, basically, just really relying on a lot of history you know that i have with the property of course i've hunted this is my home farm so i've hunted my whole hunting lifestyle career i guess you call it right here but uh it's been kind of it was warm early bow season here in illinois and then we got a nice cold front coming in i had this projects going on so i hadn't been to the woods yet i got cameras out but i haven't checked as much as i had in the past just because i'm i love trail cameras i'm 100 percent in with everybody on trail cameras I, i use them all the time best of the best you know but I, I also miss that, that excitement when you get that, that bonus buck, you know. So if anything, with the time frame I had, I just, instead of running cameras and doing a bunch of just back there a lot, I just hammered in food plots as I could. I had some spring, summer food plots. It rained all, 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 all spring and the summer. But I was able to slip back in there in September and, and just slam in some, some fall food plots and I got a little bit of rain. and They turned on. So I took what time I had rather than, than scouting and running cameras to really just Slam in some food because the, the cross my area is not great this year. Uh, we're harvesting right now. They actually are better than we thought they were going to be. Uh, a lot of farmers did take preventive planting because it was so wet they couldn't get their crops out. They turned into insurance. So there's a lot of property that's, that's normally agriculture that's got nothing on it. So instead of taking that time to just trail camera, trail camera, trail camera, scout, do this, you know, I moved, moved two stands and I just slammed in food because I knew – if you look at the farmer's almanac, you follow up, follow all that, you know, they're calling for a harsh winter. You know, things are kind of stacking up. Got the persimmon seeds open, the seeds around here all showing spoons. You know, it's predicting snow. You talk to the old timers, you talk, you look at the almanac, do a little Googling. Everything's calling for a harder winter. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, if we have an acorn crop, which we do, the red oaks are doing really well, white oaks are a little light. 
but as far as take the acorns out of the equation, there's not a whole lot out here. You know, the, the agriculture grounds, what what did get planted is not great, and what's not got planted is nothing. So I just took that into consideration and just started slamming in food. I've got, you know, radishes and just, just turnips, just fall stuff, uh, rye grass, oats, and spots, just odd spots. I don't really hunt, just like the edge of fields where there's just a break that's 10 yards wide where, you know, maybe we're – Nothing's planted there because the planter wasn't wide enough, but yet when they sprayed it, they, they might have killed some of that. And I just went in there and just put seed on it. I'm just trying to get food out there because, I mean, just trying to think more about, you know, the deer herd. If we do get a harsh winter, you know, I'm going to hunt it, but I also kind of want to keep what I've built and what I've worked for going. So just slammed in food and uh, real good cold front this last week. And I've been itching to get to the tree stand, but just, you know, hadn't had time, but just been itching, itching, itching. Well, I've got a food plot it's actually quite a few food plots on one place smorgasbord and i got a box blind in the middle of it and uh the reason behind the box blind in the middle of it was when i started food plotting this 10 years ago the deer would come out and feed the food plot perfect right right next to it, it's the property line it's the neighbor's property they've got a tree program it's just an awesome bedding area so it was working like like clockwork you know the deer would come out of the bedding area and they come out here and feed and then they could go up the ridges to the ag fields of an evening. So it's kind of like a like a staging area where it can't be seen from any road. They can come out there, feed in the daylight, no one's going to mess with them. Well, the problem was, before I built this box blind, was I'd be in my tree stand on the timber, and the deer would come out there like, like I wanted them to. They worked great, but it was too far for me to shoot. So actually, I ended up building a hay bale blind a couple years ago. I put a hay bale blind out there. And it worked great. Killed quite a few deer out of that and a few turkeys also. Well, then last year, I built a box blind, and I put it 10 foot in the air and put it out there. And then last year, I did the same thing, kept my food plots going, but now I'm in the middle of this food plot rather than on the edge of it. So they're walking out around me, and I shot that 11-pointer last November out of this box blind. It was the first year I had it there. So this year, same thing, went in, food plotted it. Um, got some existing clover. I frost seeded some killer food plot, uh, clover and chicory last February on it. Um, one of them shed hunting, shed hunting videos you've done was me broadcasting. I found them in sheds down there, you know, back there just broadcasting food plots. And I went more and picked up like six sheds. But, uh, basically it's clover and just a little bit of everything. I've got some sugar beets on one side, some turnips, you know, I've got some uh, killer food plot cold play. I actually put it out last year, come up again this year. I just kept it mowed, kept it fertilized. And that's actually what I killed my buck in Saturday was, was in that killer food plot. Nice. What I've done this year is I took the border patrol by killer food plot. I planted me a wall that kind of separates me and the neighbor's property. There's about a 40-yard gap there. And I just planted a wall. And then also around my shooting box, because, I mean, it's just a shooting blind out there. You know, it's, it's 10 foot in the air, and it's got posts going to the ground. I planted killer food plots, uh, Border Patrol, around that, just a nice little four-foot strip around it. And it actually grew up real tall, and it covers my the whole base of my box blind. I like to see my little box up there. I mean, That's it awesome. actually covered everything. It worked really great. And I put a couple more rows and kind of split the food plots up. It's, it's all been coming really good. And this last rain we got, everything's really, really peaked. Even when I planted, you know, mid-September is really, really greened out. But uh, we harvested some beans. There's uh, two bean fields atop these ridges. One's 12 acres, one's 8 acres. We cut the 12-acre piece the other night. And my dad was in the combine, and I was sitting back watching him. And a couple of does come up out of a draw while he was cutting. And I got a camera down there. I knew the deer were staying in this draw. I let this draw get really thick between two fields. 
I'm like, okay, I got doe staying there. So this is already all kind of playing into my head because I normally hunt this coming in a few days. I got cold fronts coming in. I got days off work. I'm, I'm ready to get to the tree. I'm, I'm already thinking about this. I'm supposed to be farming, but I'm already thinking about this. And, uh, you know, acorns are hitting acorns now, early, early, early season, early year. So uh, I went ahead and my box blind this time of year is more of my observation blind. It's a place I can sneak in. I'll climb up in it, any kind of wind direction, you know, my windows are shut if need be, so I can then deer walk around all, all, all four sides. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to hunt a certain wind out of it. But I got up in there kind of as observational. I went in there Friday evening, and it was uh, dropping. It dropped like 15 degrees real fast, and it ended up dropping down to almost like a 30-degree change from the daylight to the evening. And it, uh, it was spitting rain, so I was in a box blind, and I was just first time out, just ready to get out and just observe, observation, right? And I ended up uh, seeing like a doe and two fawns. The whole whole intention was to go out and just you know, try shooting a doe, you know, get a doe early, get get some meat in the freezer. And I ended up seeing like five bucks that night. And I seen three of them that I'd be more than happy to ride around in my truck, you know. So r- real quick, when did the cold front hit you? It hit me Friday night. And that's when you were and in the stand Saturday, the first time? Yeah, Saturday morning when I went out, it was 34 degrees. Nice. So we wow. went from like... Friday at like, let's say one o'clock in the afternoon, Thursday, it was like 80 degrees, and by Saturday morning it's 34. So we had, a, and it's also about a little bit of frost, so kind of our first frost of the year too. Wow. So nice. everything's just kind of stacking. The barometric pressures, you know, is up over 30 and rising, and you had that cold front coming in. October, I mean, still early, but just with what was playing out, what was adding up, it was like they're going to move. They're going to be on their feet. Also throwing to the fact that everybody's harvesting the crops right now, so now there's pressure in the field, so that's pushing them around a little bit. So it's kind of kind of start stacking up what's going on around you, not just with the weather, not just with what you've seen or what you've got on show camera. Think about what's going on, you know, on adjacent property. You know, this, this, this 100 acres of corn is getting shelled. This 60 acres of beans is getting cut, you know. Also, this weekend is also the Illinois youth season for, for a shotgun. So youth can gun hunt th- this weekend. So that's why when I harvested my deer on Saturday, on Saturday I had I had blaze orange on because I had to wear orange because it was youth season. So now I wonder why you had that hat on. Okay. More than just the average bow hunter. Now you got, you know, guys taking their kids out and grandpa's taking the grandkids out. So it's a little bit more pressure in the timber than normal this weekend. So, I mean, all this is kind of playing back in my head and after seeing them, them them bucks that night moving. And from what I can tell right now, I've only been a few times, the bucks are still bachelored up. They're hammering the food source. Could have been a lot because of the cold front. They're really hammering the food, and they're hammering the greens, which really kind of surprised me. Even even the, the tillage radish and turnips, they're, they're, already, they're already hammering that. And the buck that I harvested actually come out of the acorns. And, they, you know, they're feeding them. They're coming out of the ag fields. We also had that moon, too, so you kind of play that moon a little bit, kind of like, okay, it's a fuller moon than I hang out in the ag fields later at night. And that's what happened. Was they hung out in the fields later at night, and then early in the morning, they fed back through the acorns, and basically it was coming down into my food plot, my stationery, heading to the bed. Okay, basically pause real on. quick. Um, explain that full moon thing, or that fuller moon thing. Explain how you thought that might affect your movement real quick. The way that I kind of look at that on a full moon is I almost hunt things backwards. You know, if I'm used to the deer coming out of a bedding area and feeding through here and going through timber and going out to the fields in the evening, 
thing about a full moon is, is that there's going to be light, and it's going to get them active. You know, you can do all kind of research and reading on that, how to moon. There's all kinds of stuff you can do and research and read on that. I kind of think of it backwards, though, because I kind of do it like, okay, last night was daytime, so they fed all night at night. So if they had a full moon last night or a bright moon, they was at their feet at night, they're going to be coming back through here to bed in the morning versus then come out of the bed in the morning and go to the food of the morning and feed and then go bed up again midday. I'm going to catch them coming out of these ag fields and feeding all night. I'm just kind of – I'm still hunting the same spots, but I'm kind of reversing my thoughts of what might play out. You no, know, I like it. I just wanted to make sure south. we caught that a little with bit. This, That's awesome. With this moon, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to assume – that these deer are going to come from the north now because their pattern's almost flipped. You know, they've been out all night doing their thing rather than hanging tight in the timber. Right, okay. And you were hunting, your plot is on the edge of the timber, right? I got, it's, a, it's in a bottom. It's in a bottom, The bottom okay. was cleared out years ago. It's open bottom. You know, we cleared out, we run cattle on it, and we had cattle on it for about 40 years. We took cattle out probably nine years ago now. It's been no cattle on it. So it's, it, we keep it mowed, keep it clean, because we don't want invasive species taking over, you know. But she comes down the hill and up the hill, and there's a fence line. But there's ag fields and then flat timber, kind of thicket and flat timber, acorns, white oaks, few red oaks, a lot of maples. And you come down this bottom, that's about 80 yards wide, and that's where I have food plots. And then it goes up into some more oak flats and, and then on the neighbor's property and also down to this tree program where there's a lot of bedding. Okay. But we also have three inches of rain there night, so a lot of this bedding in this bottom has also got water standing in it. So I'm thinking, okay, this is going to keep the deer on top of the hill, which is also how it played out. Okay, so back to before I interrupted you, sorry, I just wanted to make sure we caught that real quick. Um, the deer were back in the acorns that morning, Saturday morning, and then what happened? Well, I seen a doe and a fawn come out, and uh, I, I was just set on, you know, all the time I was a doe. And the uh, doe and a fawn come down. I was kind of watching them, and the doe comes towards me in one of the plots. Well, the fawn got kind of just running around, jumping like they do, and ran around the backside of the border patrol wall. Well, of course, Mama Doe, she goes with the fawn, follows her, chases her around. I watched them feed on for a while. And then uh, four more does come on out about 120 yards from me in another plot across the bottoms, and I watched them for a little bit. And uh, as I'm sitting there, uh, another doe and a, and a youngin come up behind me, come off the neighbors right out of, right out of the tree program. And it may have been the first doe in the small one. They may just circled me, I believe. But So I see them come up behind me. I'm watching them feed, and I, I'm trying to film this. So I've got my camera set up, and I'm in this box blind. And, it, you know, it's not the easiest thing in the world to, to film out of, but I've got my, my, my mindset on trying to harvest this doe. And uh, she walks through one plot, gets to the border, border patrol wall, and she goes to the next plot. So I swing the camera around. I'm I'm in the next plot, and I've got got a recording, and she's just chowing down. So I'm kind of getting things ready. Grab my range finder, you know, ranger, getting set up. Well, I'm getting ready to uh, pull the bow back, kind of take a one look, glance look. When I look, there's two bucks standing adjacent to that food plot near the food plot. And it ended up being the buck that I harvested, another buck that was a lot wider but didn't have the mass and really didn't have the body mass. I mean, he's a three-and-a-half-year-old. He's a really good deer. But it, uh, I can just tell by looking just in a split second and just kind of do it a quick, you know, what's going on here, I could tell that other buck was more mature. So, okay, now my, now my thoughts are on this deer. Now I'm trying to turn the camera again, trying to get my chair <laughs> spun, trying to get on this deer. 
and it uh, a shit show pretty much, right? Basic, basically. But they had come down <laughs> out of the acorns, right down the draw, right on the acorn draw, and just come right out there. And they looked at the doe, and doe looking at them. Like I said, the, the bucks are still. What I'm seeing is they're still bachelored up. You know, I've heard a few guys say that they're seeing some small bucks kind of pushing already, but that's mm-hmm. not really out of the norm for this time of year, especially that cold front. It gets them excited, you know. But uh, as far as these more mature bucks, they didn't pay no attention other than they just seen the doe standing there, you know. So I'm watching them, and the, the the smaller of the two bucks was making a scrape on a licking branch there on the corner of the plot. And then I'm trying to get everything spun around and looked, and then the uh, now I got eyes on me, you know, I got doe here and the young one over here and I got two bucks here. So, you know, you're trying to fumble around in this box blind. It's kind of tight. And then you got not just one set of eyes, but, you know, there's four sets out there and four ears and four noses. And, of course, like it always is, it's all downwind, every set of it, you know, right at this point, all four of them. But <laughs> was able to, uh, the, the bucks kind of turned, started to leave. I was able to whistle and, and get that big one to kind of give me a hard quarter shot and uh, took that hard quarter shot and kind of pulled a little bit but was able to uh, get it in him and, and uh, get him down. And another thing about this deer is that, you know, I've not checked cameras as much as I have in the past, but this deer's not one that I, re- you know, recall right now. He's not one that I can say, oh, that's that, he's going to be a nine for him. That's that one off so-and-so. No, this deer here almost, I'd, don't have any pictures of him that I know of. I may go check a camera now and find one, but he's almost kind of a bonus deer. It's like maybe he was hanging out over in one of them cornfields and got pushed out by a combine. Nice. Yeah. So he kind of got up that night after that, you know, in that moon and was traveling. About what time did those bucks step out, Jordan? I shot that buck at 7 a.m. Okay. On the money. I'd say by within 10 minutes, I mean, they come off that draw come out in that plot and they was feeding of course i'm over here messing around trying to film a doe a doe harvest and never they were standing over there just munching away on the clover that's but, awesome uh, man it, it was early by by seven by 10 after seven i had done placed the shot and was started making a game plan for the next move okay so tell us a little bit more about um about this buck the Maybe kind of what transpired after that. I know we were chatting that morning, and uh, I was I was fired up for you. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you sent me some the of that footage was, of those two bucks walking out. Mediocre. I just I just I pulled the shot. It's just it happens. It's yeah, no, it's ball hunting. Until you guys go sure. So that what happened after that? I pulled the shot, and I'm sitting there, and where I hit, I'm like, you know, that is that is a lethal shot if it hits, you know, one of two things, catches an artery, or I knew I didn't have the angle to get up to get certain vitals and I just, just kind of hesitant and as I'm sitting here you know I'm playing this through my head and I've done this before we've all I mean you know long enough it's going to happen to you so I'm starting to think you know in the past once again history the whole reason I even set where I did was because I know where these deer in the past few years have worked so that's why I kind of went in blind to my food plot went in the op- for observation so this is all playing through my head I'm like man I don't know I just don't know about it I don't feel good about it I watched him top the hill. He stood up there for three or four minutes, and then I heard him crash, roll down the hill. I'm like, well, he's stumbled down the hill, or he's laying down there, you know. So I'm sitting there thinking about that, and I'm just kind of giving it time, and just kind of trying to figure out what maybe I might have done wrong. About an hour goes by, and a second buck comes back by. 
And, of course, this, you know, 130-inch Pope Young deer gives me the beautiful 15-yard broadside stand. They're eating food plot shot. Oh, like, man. Huh. So now I got – I know I got one bus shot, so I, you know, I just – I will let him walk around. me, let him feed. He fed probably 20 minutes and went on his way. I'm like, man, now I'm thinking these bucks come in together. They're, they're traveling bachelor pack. He just left his buddy. So he's laying over there, and he's down for good, or he's hurt bad. And I've been in a scenario before. A lot of people may argue what I've done. I did what I thought was the best bet, and, you know, when I got out, you know, I called you, and I called a couple other buddies just because you kind of want to hear everybody's thoughts on what, what happened. And I had the shot on film, so I went to the neighbors, and we looked at a buddy of mine, looked at, looked at the film, and kind of put a plan together with that too. But, I mean, even though I still I still call people, even though I, I think what I think, I still want someone else's opinion, you know. Yeah, I still it want doesn't know hurt. someone else is going to think about this. Right. But when I got down, I went ahead and I peeked around this ridge where they come out, and he stood up. He didn't go 30 yards after I shot him. I'm like, all right. So I'm just standing there, and he walks up the ridge, stands there for a little bit, and he kind of goes on. Well, my arrow's right there. He, he, when, he, when he fell down, he pulled the arrow out. So I just walked in there 10 yards, grabbed my arrow, and I found a little blood. I know he's only 80 yards in front of me. But when I, when I found where he bedded, where he fell, where the arrow was at to where I, I, I jumped him, got him up, and pushed him, he blew that blood clot out. Okay, I, I've done this before. Some guys may argue with me. I'm like, I've got him bleeding now. Let me get him bleeding a little more. So, so your point was where you're saying guys been arguing. You got that blood pumping. You, so you, yeah, once you bumped him. He was, which, bedded, he was laying on the wound, so it's letting that blood clot up. You know, whether it's a lethal, it may still, it's still a lethal shot. But, but you got to find him. Yeah, you got to find him. So when I found that big clot of blood, I knew where the hit was. I'm like, okay, I need to get this. The arrow's already out of him, so I got nothing else in there. You know, if arrow's in him, he's walking off, it's cutting him up, cutting him up. Arrow's out of him. I'm strictly going for just a, a wound shot now. And he's already clotted up. When I got him up, he blew the clot out. You know, it's been an hour and a half now since I shot him. So I let him go up the ridge. So I slowly slipped up the ridge following the blood. I knew I, I had an idea where he was going, and I was really waiting for him to circle. And the fact that he didn't start circling even plays back into he's not one of my normal deer. I think he just kind of stumbled in there on a limb because he was going back to where he come from. He didn't he didn't try to pull the circle. But uh, when I get up to the ridge, I'm listening for him, and it's probably been another 30 minutes now. I kind of eased up there, and I heard him get up and go down the ridge. I'm listening to him. I let him walk down the ridge and get to the bottom. And I gave him time to get across that bottom. That, that bottom's grass, and it's really hard to find blood and grass, let alone a bad hit. So once I knew, I gave him enough time to get up the next ridge. I topped that ridge, went down, finally crossed the grass, went across the grass, and I got him there to the to a creek bank and the edge of the timber to go back uphill. And that's when I backed out. So basically, I bumped him. I've already I've already more or less shot myself in the foot, right? But now I'm thinking back. Okay, where's the hit at? He, he went down within five minutes, and he went 30 yards. So he's hurting. Or maybe I've, maybe I've nicked an artery. Okay, an hour and a half goes by. I get down there, you know, and I, he gets up. But he doesn't just blow and bust out of there. He's tail tucked, walks up the hill, legs back down. I'm like, okay. But when I'd done that, I got that blood pump. I got that I got that clot blowed out because he'd been sitting there laying on that clot the whole time. Yeah. Laying on that wound. 
So then I come home, you know, called you, called a couple of our buddies, kind of sent some video. What do you guys think? And kind of put a plan together. Let's get him seven hours from the time I shot him. So I shot him at 7 o'clock, 2.30, we're heading back. Go back there, and I go right to the creek where I left left the last blood, pick up blood right then, walk up top of the ridge, come to their grass patch. No blood because it's grass. And now the dew is there's a real heavy frost that morning, or a decent frost, so there was dew, you know, and now it's all dry now because now the sun's come out. So I go to a ridge, walk a ridge out, walk a draw, nothing. And buddy's like, I think he may be going this way. And I said, I think he's going right here. I know these deer cross the fence. They cross right here. I know exactly where he's going. Just from years past of deer I've harvested and getting deer I've shot and also deer I've tracked. So when I come out of the woods, I immediately call the distant landowner. said, hey, I've got one hit. If you help, go for it, man. Let me know what you find. Send me a picture. So I had that taken care of. Now it was just a waiting game. So went back there, got set up, got on the blood, lost the blood, walked a little bit. And I said, I'm not leaving until I check this fence because I know they cross here. They're going to cross anywhere, but I know that 90% of the time this deer are going to cross right here. And if he's hurt as bad as I think he is, is he going to want to jump that fence? Because I've had deer that I've helped blood trail or even deer that I've harvested. They get to that fence, and they don't want to cross and they can't cross it, and they'll just go down the fence line. So we're staying there. You know, we're 100 yards from where we last had found blood, and we're just kind of like, Stand around. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's not going to happen now. You know, it's. I'm going to give the effort, but I just it's not looking good. Well, I get to this fence and I'm like, right here's like cross, but right there's a pin drop of blood on the leaf. I said blood. Go across the fence. Go another 15 yards. Blood, blood. He's opened back up now. I don't know if he laid down on top of this ridge and then went across while I was, while I gave him time because I didn't find any blood from point A to point B at that point. I made a big circle and picked up blood at the fence. And I was able to go in about another 40 yards on blood, and the ridge splits, goes downhill right, downhill left. And he's heading towards the creek. To my buddy, I said, I know where he's going. I said, let's just, let's just go a little further and just see if we can't find, find something. So we're walking about 20 yards apart, and I go about another 20 yards, and I look, and I walked right up on him. He's laying in a treetop with his back to me. And he's got his head rested up against the log, so I can't tell if he's alive or not. But I walked right up on the back of him, so it was, you know, split-second decision, what are you going to do? And uh, I ended up putting a second, another one in to finish him off. And, and sure enough, he was still alive. But just that time frame of that seven hours I gave him was, was obviously not enough for him to die at that time. But I was able to get in there on him and get another one in him and, and finish him off. Wow. But, uh... It was not a great shot. You know, it was my fault. But no, but I, I mean, we got once I make that made that mistake and pulled that. I mean, it's on me at that point. I'm gonna give whether it's that deer or any deer. I'm gonna give that deer 100 percent all I can because I owe it to that deer sure. now. Yep. And that's exactly what I did. And from the point I shot him to the point I honestly found him was probably 300 350 yards. Wow. Just, just across 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 the property and. He went about 60 yards over on the, on the neighbor's side, and he laid up on that ridge. But How much blood do you think he lost between when you shot him and when you found him? Not very much. I mean, That's what I'm saying, man. Like, I'm not trying to walk enough and find blood, and I was walking. And yeah. I crawl, but then it stopped. And then I may kind of t- – I, I just – I'll stand on deer trails. It's just it, – it goes back to just knowing your property and property that you've hunted. And just knowing how deer react to where they're going in this in this area. And – 
I just went with my gut feeling on what way he was going, and I literally walked right to him. No, I was I was more than pumped to get that phone call uh, later that afternoon, and I didn't want to make you know go through the whole bad shot part of the story. But at the same time, I think we can learn a lot from this, uh, especially the listeners and and me and and Brian and everybody else. Um, really good woodsmanship and and tracking and just kind of knowing deer and, and the history of your area, uh, I think played into this a lot because, I mean, some guys would have given up. Some guys wouldn't know where to look. You lose blood or maybe call a dog, whatever. There's lots of different ways it could have gone down. And you were persistent. And even though the shot was a little bit back, you found this gorgeous buck. So congratulations, man. You really worked hard on that. Thank you. I just, I wish I had, you know, some more history of this deer, but then again, it's also nice to kind of get one that you know, I don't know a lot <laughs> about. That, that surprise factor. And, sure. And uh, this deer kind of surprised me actually a little bigger than I thought he was. So I what is he? He was, he was a tank. What is he? Tell us about him. Uh, he's a nine point. I know he's a, got a little G4 on one side, but he's nine point. He's right there, just, just a shot under 140. He's only six inches wide, great mass, carried mass all the way through, tall times, you know, is his third mass measurement between two and three was, was four inches, bladed brows. I mean, and uh, it actually surprised me on what he scored, but his body was just so big that whenever you whenever you mount a deer, you, you order form, right? You, a lot of times taxidermists measure that form from the corner of the eye socket to the nostril. And around here, you know, a, a, a three-year-old buck is about seven inches, six to seven inches around here. His ended up being about eight and a quarter inches on that nose measurement. It had a big old Roman nose. And nice. He was just, he was just huge. He was like, man, this deer is, is a mature deer. You know, he was that four or five-year-old deer. But I, I see it a lot on social media and stuff. Hear people talk. It's like just because every deer, if you, not every deer will be doing Crockett. Not every deer is going to blow up to be the perfect ten. Not every deer is going to have have kicker drop times not typical. This deer here may have had a bigger rack last year. This may be the biggest heat it got. You know, he's that tight, heavy, packing on mass and keeping that clean eight point with a, that little G4 on one side. Shoot, man, 135, 140-inch eight points, a great deer. Nice job. Yeah, so it's a good spread. I was, I was really surprised that his body was so big that I'm like, I, I've got to weigh him. This is one of the larger body bucks I've harvested, and it's, it's early, which they're not running their weight off yet chasing, but. This deer's big, so I went ahead and took him back and put him on my scale, and he he, he uh, field dressed at 215. Wow! Which wow. really surprised me. He he was a, definitely a, a tank of a deer, and the, the just the fat on his back whenever I skinned him out was just ridiculous. And I mean, I after I've harvested this, and I've talked to some more people who's harvested deer, you know, their kids harvested over the weekend, and everybody's saying the deer are really weighing it heavy this year. So it may just be a, just a good year with as wet as it was, having food. But the, the, they're they're packing on some weight this year, which also plays back to it might be a you know a pretty good pretty bad winter if they're already kind of setting up for it. So I mean that also played into sure. where, you know a month and a half ago when I was really trying to slam in those uh those those brassicas with winter food plots, you know, and and it's, yeah. it's worked out and it's it's also harvesting this buck and seeing what he's done with his body. It's like I I think this is going to be kind of a harsh winter for us. Yeah, it definitely could be. Uh, one thing I wanted to circle back on, uh, that was a great tip you mentioned about slowing things down, you know, calling a couple of buddies. Uh, sometimes we get so 
uh, focused on the shot and what we think happened in the situation. We get blinders on. I think that was a great tip you brought up about, you know, don't be afraid to find some things off other people. Show somebody some footage if you're running cameras. They might see something that you missed and you might have a totally different outcome on your track job or something. Yeah, you're exactly right because they might have had something very similar to that, and they may have went a whole totally different direction than how my, my harvest went. For sure. You know, they may have been like, well, I've done that, and we brought a dog in, and we walked 400 yards, and the dog jumped in. You know, it, so you're – yeah, you just – I started asking people. I mean, I got my close contacts, you know, and just what do you guys think about this or have you dealt with this? And, and I had actually dealt with this before, but this shot was a little lower, so that's where I was kind of wondering – I knew where it was for the most part, but I was just hoping for some for what the other side was going to have, you know. Sure. Last year I went to the base house, able to put the footage on a, a larger screen. Right. And when the when the buck spun, I was able to see then that I did not have an exit. So I mean that also played into okay, there's no exit hole. He's pulled the arrow out. There's nothing in him right now, but just this just this wound. Right. So, you know, I know why my blood's getting thin. I know why it's clotting up. Oh, he was laying on it. So a, a lot of guys argue with bumping him like that, which I didn't intentionally bump him the first time. But just from walking down there and, and that happening, that gave me the intel to know that, okay, yeah, he's still alive. But at the same time, he didn't just get up and blow and run over two counties. Sure. He's hurting. He's hurting. So now I know that made me think that the arrow got deep enough. It's in this portion of his body now. And he's – He's going to stove up on me. Right. You know, he, he's hurting. Versus yeah, you, just jumping and him running, you know, all over God's creation. And now I've just, I've, I've lost him. So. Right. I, I, it wasn't intentional at first. The second bump was intentional. Well, um, one important thing, too, is you've got a lot of years of uh, hunting deer and tracking deer and watching deer under your belt. So it's a big difference between you and somebody, you know, maybe shooting their first couple of deer and, you know, they're not. They're not really sure what the next step's going to be. So that's that's something for our listeners to consider too. You know what what uh, path, what part of the path of, that you're on with the deer hunting journey that you're in. You know it might be different from what Jordan experiences. So just uh, take everything with a grain of salt and uh, try to make the best decision you can. In hindsight, I wish I never even walked over there because then yeah. I wouldn't have bumped him and he'd probably been laying right there, right? But also, right. I probably would have come back in three hours and walked right up there and really blowed him out. And at yeah, that point, that know. blood clot would have sealed up. So, I mean, it's a catch-22. Hey, right. man. Really shoot you got him. Yep. Or did I not? You know, it's, it's, it's hunting, you know. <laughs> For sure. So, if you had a couple of tips you could give somebody, you know, for the next week or two coming up, maybe in your area or just uh, in general, what, what kind of uh, advice would you give people? Uh, what to be concentrating on the next week or so? I'd say with it, the cold, the cold fronts coming in and getting cooler, even though it's early October, go ahead and go in a little bit earlier. Go in at 2 rather than, you know, 3.30. You know, time change not happening yet. I know, guys, you can get off work try to run to the stand. I'm noticing they're moving a little bit earlier, and the bucks are still batched up. So for the most part, if I was hunting a buck or trying to hunt bucks versus trying to just freeze your meat doe, don't put your camera on the first doe that walks in because you don't know what's going to come out on the other side. Sure. That's a good point. The little ones are starting to push a little bit. I would try to start using a little vocals. I would play a little grunting. 
depending on what you're doing, if you're on the acorns, you can something you can pull in. But if you're in a wide open field, I wouldn't even mess with it at this point. I let them feed and let them do their thing. Um, when you start seeing the button bucks show up by themselves, that's when I start getting excited. When, when the does kick off them button bucks because they're getting they're getting antsy and they're they're starting to figure things out. That tells me that does, you know, within a few weeks of possibly cycling or coming on. So that's why she's pushed her button buck off. So I don't get too crazy with my grunting and rattle. I'm very aggressive on grunting and rattle. Like, I, I'm very aggressive when it comes to rattling during the rut. But I don't get too excited about that until I start seeing them lonely button bucks. I'm not saying the button buck and the spike and the six point, the buck crate comes by. I'm saying that lonely button buck that's been kicked off the doe and, you know, the, the larger bucks aren't hanging with him. You guys have seen, even after four, and seen that lonely button butt come by, you know, third week of October, fourth week of October. That oh, yeah. tells me that the does are kicking them, them button bucks off, and, and you know, things are going to start firing up. So when I start seeing that, that's when I'll start landing to maybe some grunting and some light rattling. You, you, you may see that this week. Perfect. Perfect. I know, uh, you know, we – interviewed another guy earlier tonight, Ethan, and uh, he's saying a lot of what you are as well with some of the younger bucks bumping. Um, we've, all, we've really had good weather this October so far. Brian and I were talking earlier, and uh, you know, a lot of people slow down during this mid-October part. I'm just getting fired up now. I mean, it's this could kick off any moment now, and and that, that historical data you kept mentioning, you know, you've seen deer where you've been hunting before last year multiple years even with the whole tracking discussion we just had there that's awesome information um and but a lot of that led back to history you know where they go i mean between that the cold front and the food um i think you know we have some tools in our in our tool belt for here for this weekend i know tomorrow night i'm going to be sitting uh, kind of an observation stand like you were in a box blind with my daughter over uh, kind of overlooking a few food plots. Same exact situation, kind of. So hopefully uh, I'll have two beautiful Illinois bucks get lost, run up to Michigan, and walk out in front of me. <laughs> to me, in hindsight, it's almost a little early to hunt the green. I mean, they're still going to feed in the clover and stuff, but like I said, it was observation. I was just I just ready to get out in the woods. I haven't had all year. Right. I'm just ready to get out there and see it. Is that your second hunt? I went Friday night, nice. Friday morning, and I killed him. Nice. <laughs> but I'm also playing into what you know I talked about earlier with what this year's stacking up, what could be. Right. And there's a reason why I put as much food plot out and the effort I put as I did. Right. And I put, you know, instead of using that time off and effort to run cameras and do certain like mock scrapes or change stands, I use that time to, to just get back there and throw in some more food just because I'm – just trying to pay attention to what, what, what might happen. Now, last year I'd done that, and it burnt me. He's predicting a drought last year, so in October I went back there and slammed a bunch of oats in, I'm sorry, in July, just to try to keep something green through that heat of August. Well, there was no drought. It rained like heck, and then my oats were heading out for season even started, so they were in meat. So right. that backfired on me last year to where this year it's, it's playing in. I slammed the food in. We got the rain. I'm just trying to plan ahead of what – Going, what's going to happen just kind of in my area with, with the weather and what, what could happen. You know, take the rut out of the equation. I, I was planning food to give them something to survive on. And honestly, from the amount of deer I've seen and two hunts with the amount of food that I have all out, and I have a lot of food, I still don't know if I have enough to support what I've seen 
right. if, it, if it gets bad. And that kind of bothers me a little bit because you start getting to them rut months, that's when you start getting – you get them bonus bucks, them extra bucks, and deer really traveling. And I'm trying to keep my does and stuff here, but if I can't support what I have here, you know, so that that's something playing in next year. Maybe next year I need a little larger. Next year I need a little more food if it's going to play out like this. But they're hammering my greens. Um, they're bashed up. The dozers still kind of get together, and that can all change in a, in a week's time, you know. But I yeah. definitely sit on the food, and I get out there a little bit earlier, and I've been seeing deer moving driving around and at work between 9 and noon already. So that may have a lot to do with just the weather, and, of course, I think there's a moon phase kind of coming up too. But they are definitely acting a little ruddy earlier than normal, but a lot of that could play into this cold front. Yeah, we've had a lot of good weather. And, you know, I, I like how you're, you, know, you have the habitat manager mindset. I know, uh, you know, you care about all this stuff as much as we do. And, you know, you're thinking about your deer, you know, for the rest of the season, even though you already got one down. It's not just like, okay, I'm good. You know, what can I do next year and the year after? And a lot of our listeners, you know, it, it's a never-ending project, if you will. Like, we're not just going to be food plot and done. I mean, it's year after year after year. And I think you had a lot of good tips here tonight, Jordan. Really appreciate it, man. Hey, thank you. Now, if anybody wants to reach out and see any of your uh, footage or, or anything else from you, where can they find you? I just reach out to me on social media or check me out on Outdoor Devotion. Perfect, man. Brian, anything else from you? No, just want to say thanks for coming on, Jordan. Like uh, Jared said, you had some awesome information, and uh, I think a lot of our listeners will be able to take a ton from this and maybe get a harvest this week themselves. Yeah, I hope well, you boys need to knock something down so I can call and ask you some questions. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. We're trying. We haven't you, tried too hard to, yet. Uh, Continue. Sorry. You going to, uh, where you heading, Brian, Mon- Montana? Yes, sir. I got a uh, pronghorn antelope tag I drew up out there. How long are you going to be out there? Uh, hoping to be out there a week. Uh, my buddy lives just outside of uh, Bozeman. So uh, him and his friend just got their two antelope today. He said the bucks are uh, in good shape, herds are in good shape. So it's a rifle hunt, so I'm hoping it's not going to be too drawn out. Awesome. And you're heading to Iowa when, Jared? Uh, November 1st. November 1st you're heading to Iowa. Dude, it's freaking two and a half weeks. Can't believe it. Oh, you better get on it. <laughs> yep, I'm a, yeah, I'm excited. So I'm not pressing my luck too much here. Um, quite yet. What do you think so. we're stacking up though? If it stays cold, November first might be money. I know. You know that's I what know. I like about about early November and even late October in that Halloween. Man, I love hunting Halloween because, like yeah, in Illinois, too. our our gun season's like the always our first gun season, the first firearm the week before Thanksgiving. And you know, our rut always plays right in that area. But a lot of times, it's like these larger deer are almost on lockdown by that point. What I like about that last week of October, first week of November, is these big mature bucks. Okay, now they're they're hammering these scrapes. You know, they're really starting to get into the game. So they're on their feet and they're moving. They're moving in daylight hours. Awesome. And I really like that last. I really like a Halloween week. That's kind of what we were thinking with the whole thing. Um, I don't want it to be full rut, lockdown. We don't want that. I want pre rut. So 
that's kind of what we're aiming for. I know the first week in November is always, you know, pretty good when you schedule something this far ahead of time. It's kind of a, a go-to, but the last week of October would have been great too, especially with this cooler weather. So, yeah, first week of November. I mean, you're in the woods at all in November. You know, your money. You're playing the game. You're hunting. You're in there. We're gonna have a heck of a time. That's for darn sure. Yeah, I'll be I'll be waiting for them text messages. Hopefully yours goes better than mine did. But. <laughs> hey, I might need some tracking help. So, uh, hey, dude, I'm gonna uh, give you a call tomorrow. I want to hear a little bit more. And uh, thank you so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it, Jordan. And you know, hopefully we we'll hear again from you real soon. All right, everybody, another game plan episode in the books. Jordan, thanks for coming on, brother. Really appreciate you. And congrats on that beautiful buck, man. For anybody who wants to see that on Facebook, go check out Jordan Hanks. You can check him out on the Outdoor Devotion Facebook page uh, or uh, at Jordan Hanks. You'll find him on Instagram and Facebook. He's been doing a great job uh, filming and, you know, being a habitat manager like the rest of us. And just really, it all comes together for him, which is awesome. I also want to thank our listeners. Uh, you guys are awesome. Thanks for coming back. We're getting plenty of awesome reviews on iTunes. I just sent out a couple more decals this week to uh, Jason Hardy and Doug Catbird. Guys, thanks for leaving those awesome iTunes on review, or a review on iTunes, I should say. If anybody else leaves us a nice review on iTunes, I will send you a detail. Just make sure to leave your name at the bottom so I can find you on Facebook. I'd also like to thank our sponsors. We have 5-2 Outdoors, Killer Food Plots, Packer Max Call to Packers, Huntwise, and Michigan Whitetail Pursuit. For anybody who is new to our show, this is the Game Plan episode. We try to give you guys the best hunting strategy and advice we can as often as it's happening from other hunters and habitat managers having success. So we try to keep these as current as possible, but our normal episodes are just all habitat and hunting related. Those are coming out more too, and if you haven't found those yet, go to habitatpodcast.com. We have all of our episodes on there along with a bunch of sweet new hats. We have iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio. They, everywhere you can get a podcast, our Libsyn account shoots those up to uh, all those different podcast venues. So you should be able to find it anywhere. And be sure to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll be back there again almost daily. And then uh, be sure to turn into our next episode. We have Eric Schnell from the QDMA on a bunch of different talk about hunting, uh, disease, and how habitat can help fight disease. That's all coming up next, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in once again as we become better habitat managers. Good luck, and please let us know if you do any good. Take care.